It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. It is great to be with you for another installment of J.C. and Morgan, the podcast you've come to know and love. And if you're new to it, you're going to love it. It's number 179. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Michael Haney you'll hear from momentarily, our fearless producer from the Music City. In fact, uh, he's on a hard out, so we're going to we're going to keep the pleasantries at the top uh, somewhat shorter than normal because I know he's got to skip out uh, a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week. We'll uh, go ahead and say happy Thanksgiving to those of you ahead of time. Some of you might be listening to this right now after uh, ingesting an entire turkey and uh, not having motivation to do anything other than watch football or maybe listen to a podcast. Or you might be listening to today, a Monday, as we record it. Who knows? Guys, uh, uh, an incredible weekend. I'm calling it uh, Drunk Saturday. Every now and then, college football just gets drunk. And as I was in Tuscaloosa calling an Alabama game at, at 12 o'clock Eastern, as we're leaving the stadium, is at the same time TCU is on its final drive and Michigan is on its final drive. Uh, at the same time, we're getting word that Florida has lost to Vanderbilt for the first time in Nashville since 1988. Uh, at the same time, we're hearing potential other upsets that are going on. And that was just the tip of the iceberg going to what happened in Columbia, South Carolina, what happened with the UCLA Southern Cal game. It, it's everything that we love about college football. And it was all encapsulated in one Saturday. So with that, I say good afternoon to both of you and hope you had as much fun as uh, I did. And so many of us did this weekend. Uh, well, greetings, Mike, and, and thanks so much. I, uh, I think the beautiful part for my weekend is I, I had a show back in South Carolina, and as fate would have it, um, you know, people being the good Southern folk that they are, invited me to come to, uh, to a tailgate and hang out, which coincided with me getting to spend some family time with my nephews who are uh, students at the University of South Carolina. So I, I sort of stumbled into uh you know what would be a pretty crazy and historic atmosphere around williams bryce stadium so yeah it was a it was a pretty pretty wild and fun uh weekend for me for sure yeah me too i uh you know i kind of kind of stayed home home side with the fiance this weekend and uh she's a notre dame fan so so we watched a little bit of them blow boston college out in the snow uh and then boy the the michigan illinois game to me was uh exciting uh you know i i i think illinois had uh, a turnaround year you know they're still in the hunt for that division so they may play michigan again pretty soon michigan's been really really good illinois kind of stumped its toes with michigan state and purdue uh beating them but boy they gave the wolverines all they wanted they have an excellent defense um you know unfortunately michigan for her for illinois michigan won it and then uh, you mentioned South Carolina, of course, big win there. Vanderbilt, Clark Lee, hats off. Uh, what a win uh, over the Florida Gators uh, in Nashville, their second win in a row uh, under Clark Lee. I don't think anybody saw that coming. So, yeah, heck of a weekend. It was go home college football, you're drunk <laughs> type of a weekend, uh, as Mike said, but certainly was very enjoyable. And, and I'll, I'll, one more point about this. This used to be Sun Belt Saturday. Remember in the SEC, remember how right. this week before Thanksgiving used to just be awful? And there's still some matchups like that, but uh, hats off to the, the league officer, at least giving people some SEC football. And then, of course, you know, big games, uh, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, as big as it got. So uh, I'm glad to have that this weekend not be as kind of so-so uh, as maybe it has been, you know, three or four years ago. Yeah, they, they mixed it up uh, a few years ago to, to, to give us some other games. Although the Arkansas Ole Miss game, I I don't know. I don't know how you explain that. I think Ole Miss still had a hangover from losing that fourth quarter lead to Alabama the week before. They just didn't show up. But that but that was the kind of game that uh, was supposed to headline the SEC slate and was actually one of the most lopsided games. I love and I've got to check this, guys. I love the <coughs> the fact that UCLA and Southern Cal played this weekend. 
Mm-hmm. I know Southern Cal has Notre Dame coming up. UCLA, I believe, has Cal. Uh, what happens when when you save all the rivalry games for one week is that so many great matchups and rivalries that could be introduced to to fan bases on a national basis get lost in the shuffle because we're because we're all watching the same games. I mean, it's it's Michigan Ohio State, which is going to draw an insane number noon. It's it's Auburn Alabama. I get it, like. Alabama has a very, very slim chance of making the playoff, and Auburn is fighting for bowl eligibility. But that game will draw ratings. It will draw people. But there's so many other good ones. There's Oregon, Oregon State. There's the Apple Cup uh, in years past. It used to be Florida, Florida State. They're actually playing on a Friday is kind of a one-off. Uh, it's South Carolina, Clemson, which will get some uh, some good exposure. But, but I, I kind of like the fact that maybe we could have two weeks of rivalry week instead of shoehorning them all into one Saturday. Anyway, uh, but I, I get your point, JC. We, we, had, some, we had some good matchups uh, overall, and then we had games that we didn't think would be interesting, like a Florida Vanderbilt, like a Georgia Tech, North Carolina. If you're the Tar Heels and you're up 17 nothing, and you got Drake May knocking on the Heisman door, what are you, what are you doing? How does that happen? Uh, you, know what that, you know how that happens, guys? That's, that's the ACC Coastal in a nutshell. They, they 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 got coastalized like like nobody is allowed to be really good in the coast no, they're, yeah they're just right. not <laughs> just they're just they're just not um anyway i i i, I was uh, thoroughly entertained and and um i'll just say this you know as we, we'll get into playoff discussion later and it, it's starting to thin out and there'll be a little controversy probably with number four and that's about it the last scene georgia in person and Alabama in purpose and on person. In fact, went to a two hour Alabama practice. And I, I'll just say this the, the the difference in the overall athletes and the explosiveness and the, the way those regimes are set up, I mean, it's it's palpable. Like it, it I'm not an expert on evaluating talent. No, no NFL team is hiring me to make their first round draft picks, but you can just see it. And when you just stand on the field and you watch those type of programs, and I'm sure if, if I had a game in Columbus, Ohio. I'd see it there too, Michigan maybe, um, but man, oh man, I, I I'm amazed uh, at, at at there is a gap. Like, doesn't mean that you can't close it. Doesn't mean you can't win those kind of games. We have upsets in college football. We love it. It's not always the, the team with the most five stars that wins it. Wins it, but uh, there is definitely a gap with those top three or four programs in terms of just pure athlete. And what we see in all these other teams ranked five through 50 Uh, and five through 50. I'm convinced. And I've said this a number of times on this podcast. I don't care what the point spread is. It's not that big of an upset when the 43rd ranked team beats the 17th ranked team. It's it's just not because there's not there's not that uh, huge level of difference uh, in, in your overall athleticism anyways jc and morgan presented by blue delta jeans blue delta jeans.com for the best fitting jeans the best looking jeans out there on the market go ahead and check out blue delta jeans.com proud sponsor of jc and morgan michael haney we know that uh you got a little time crunch going here don't want to take away any more of your time people have been waiting uh no thanksgiving is complete without a hot haney five served up with a couple of sides and a biscuit so what do you have sir uh, that is correct, Mike. And uh, I guess I, I think maybe the first episode I did with you guys last year was was going into Thanksgiving week. I think I remember oh. one of my questions was your the underrated side dish and pineapple casserole was mine. So, uh, you know, the hot Haney five is not quite as good as a pineapple casserole, but I'm going to do my best no. to do my best. OK, uh, so it's not a selfish question because I was there, um, but uh, of the impact that it's had and the trickle down uh, that's coming from this South Carolina's. Uh, just inexplicable uh, victory over Tennessee. Not that they won, but in the fashion that they did, uh, completely flipping the script, guys, on what we have watched, uh, honestly, from both teams all season long. Um, just ha- have you ever uh, – we've seen upsets and, and we've seen some some things that are weird or, or, or that happen. We're going to do a much deeper dive after the Hot Haney Five into this exact game, but I, I'm trying to recall a game where you just saw one team – it was almost like a Freaky Friday uh, situation where, where where one team took over the you know, the they, they switched bodies. That's what it felt like. You know the, mm-hmm. the way it was going. You expected twenty one to seven to be Tennessee after the first quarter. You expected thirty five to seventeen to be Tennessee at halftime, 
you would have expected 63 to 38 to be Tennessee when the game was done. Guys, uh, have we, can you recall a time where we saw something that was just so odd and inexplicable uh, in college football, quite like that at this level? Struggling to find one specifically because it wasn't just a win. Like the upset itself, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it. Like we've had, we've had upsets like this, particularly it's a conference game. It's on the road. It's a sold out rowdy electric Williams Bryce stadium and kudos to those fans because after the, the, the egg that was laid against Florida, uh, there are some fan bases that would start peeling off, but that was not the case at all. And clearly there was a home field advantage uh, in that ball game, but it, it's the, it's the margin of victory. It's the, the way that a quarterback in Spencer Rattler, who has been pretty ho-hum this year against quality competition, uh, all of a sudden, they, they can't be stopped. And he's, he's throwing six touchdown passes and hitting everything. And it, when we do that deep dive, JC, who, who, again, covers recruiting as well as anybody in the country and certainly knows his program inside of that, will we'll tell you about the supporting cast that came alive. I guarantee you 90% of the people tuning in had no idea who people like Josh Van are, for example. I know Gamecock fans know that, uh, but but very few other people do. And, and so it, it's the fact that those guys played to the level that they did, and and Rattler looked like the guy that, to use the old Dennis Green uh, statement, he was what people thought he was, paraphrasing there. I, I mean, he was that kind of kid coming out of high school. He showed flashes of that at Oklahoma before he lost the job to a guy who's probably – uh, the leader to win the Heisman Trophy right now, um, and and the fact that the 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 defense I know the final score Tennessee put up points, but really even before the injury to Hendon Hooker, which is uh, beyond uh, disappointing and sad. I feel bad for that young man. He deserved a better fate, but the, but they weren't great on offense either. So yeah, there's a lot of things about that game that were so part of again a drunk Saturday in college football that just didn't make a lot of sense. And what a what a program-building victory for Shane Beamer and company. I mean, that was an absolute statement before a national audience. I think he said the last time uh, Fowler and Herb Street were there to call a game in 2010 was the upset win over Alabama. So it's been 12 years uh, since you know they've had that kind of kind of light shined on them, but they yeah. certainly took advantage. Yeah, Fowler and Herb Street actually. Uh, that's Fowler's first game doing play-by-play. Uh, that game back in uh, 2010 was a game day when they came, uh, and Musburger was working with Herb Street then, and they called the game. So that's the first time Fowler's called a Gamecock game. And, that's right. Uh, you know, that's uh, you know, when those guys are in town, you know, it's a big one. And you know, I, I think um, for any program, that that would have been a huge, huge victory. Well, question moving into question number two, guys. Um, and again, I know we're saving a deeper dive into that particular game uh, for after the Hot Haney Five. So the the trickle down from that, uh, Tennessee, all they had to do was win out, um, uh, which seemed, you know, before Saturday, you know, more than 90 percent plausible with South Carolina and Vanderbilt left on the schedule for this Tennessee team to do that. But uh, they are now out. Uh, we saw Southern Cal get a, a huge victory over their rival. Uh, in, in UCLA, and they've positioned themselves now uh, to to be one of those teams in the college football playoff. Obviously, we've got TCU there. We, you guys mentioned uh, Michigan, uh, Ohio State uh, there at the at the beginning um, as well. So Tennessee being out, looking right now at, at playoff scenarios, um, there's going to be some jockeying for position. But Mike, I remember one of the questions that that you know I asked a, a few weeks ago: Will there be a team outside of the SEC or the Big Ten? that makes the college football playoff. Um, do you uh, care to revise any thoughts or, or feelings about that now that we have a little bit more data to show? Well, I mean, if TCU takes care of business, they're in. Um, if TCU stays undefeated, they they staved off elimination in my eyes. So they're, they're going to beat Iowa State, and then it's likely Kansas State, I believe, uh, is, the, is the opponent. In, now, that will be a challenge. Kansas State's no joke. In fact, in their regular season matchup, they were down 17 points to Kansas State. So uh, TCU, if they go undefeated, they're in. You know, the, to me, the real battle 
has been and will continue to be, it, it's the beauty contest of one-loss teams. And for those that point out, well, the committee says if it's a one-loss team versus a one-loss team, then the, you know, they really take into consideration who won their conference championship and who didn't. That's not necessarily true. Twice they've they've bucked that theory, including the last time they put Alabama in, a team that didn't win its division, didn't win its conference, put them in as a number four seed, the Joel Klatz of the world uh, went haywire, and Alabama had two convincing wins in the playoff and won a national championship. So that's still possible. I don't. When you look at the loser of that Ohio State Michigan game, I think Ohio State, if they lose, they still get in uh, because they have enough con- out of conference schedule collateral to make a case. Michigan does not, but Ohio State does. So, you know. Th- if we're, if we're talking about who's who we're looking at now, if, if you want this thing to go completely haywire and, and blow a spark fuse and, and everything else, um, have LSU beat Georgia in Atlanta. Oh, and have LSU beat Georgia Atlanta. Good luck sorting through that. Uh, that is going to be their worst nightmare if that happens. But short of that, I don't think it's going to be that controversial. I, again, I think it's going to be a couple of one-loss teams battling for that fourth and final slot. And, you know, the, the, the team that doesn't get in will be pissed, and the team that does get in will be happy, and we'll move on. Yeah, and, and look, some crazy stuff could happen, and Alabama could still get in the playoff. <laughs> They could. I mean, they absolutely it, it, could. it's going to take some like – Clemson's going to have to lose one of the next two. Southern Cal will have to lose. Uh, Kansas State like or Texas will have to beat TCU um, or Iowa State, dare I say. Remember, Iowa State uh, uh, took Oklahoma State out of the uh, out of the BCS a few years back in Ames. Um, you know, uh, so, so look, Alabama can still make their way back. Uh, I think Georgia will have to beat LSU uh, for that to happen. Um, and, and I think Georgia's obviously going to be the favorite in that game. LSU wins. Uh, that's going to cause some some haywireness, uh, obviously. But, uh, you know, Alabama could still sneak in somehow. And that, that to me, that's amazing that we're sitting there talking about that. Yeah, it's a really, really wild situation that uh... – you know, you're, you're right. There are a few things that, again, based on what we just saw from South Carolina and Tennessee, I I've, I feel like I'm through trying to predict what college football can be. I've, I know I've said it on here before. I, I don't know that there's any sport that is more week to week than what college football is. Uh, I think when you're dealing with with young men and, and the 18 to 22 age bracket and uh, all the different distractions and things that can go on, I, I think that just proves just how impressive it is that Nick Saban's been able to continue doing what he's done at Alabama for as long as he has, obviously this year. Um, notwithstanding, but still, you know, a few plays away and they might be an undefeated team and they might not need help to be getting into the college football playoff. Next question, guys. Um, where do you feel like someone like Bryce Young now with a, with a two loss Alabama team, uh, the, the, the reigning winner? Where does he fall into the, the Heisman conversation right now when you've got guys like uh, Caleb Williams doing what he's doing under Lincoln Riley at, at USC or you got CJ Stroud, obviously, at Ohio State, somebody like Max uh, Duggan uh, at TCU? Um, I think there are a lot of really talented guys and, and a lot of guys that have uh, made made some big strides this year and, and kind of came out of nowhere, like a Hendon Hooker for, for Tennessee, who sadly is a torn ACL and will be done uh, for the rest of this season in his career uh, in college. But I think a harder question for me uh, to, to, to phrase it to you is uh, who, who gets left out of, of a top three in the Heisman right now? Like where where would you where would you uh, place the bets on somebody maybe being a surprise uh, a snub in that final three in the Heisman voting. Well, uh, look, I, I love Bryce Young and I voted for him last year, but he, he's got no chance of winning it this year. Uh, not just that he, they lost two games by a combined four points to two very good teams, but the numbers are down this year. Uh, he, he missed some time when he got banged up, missed a game. And, and so he's not going to be in the final group. Uh, to, to me right now, Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud are your favorites. Um, And then the question becomes, who gets left out after that? Now, we're all awaiting the news on Blake Corum, the running back for Michigan, because he tweaked his knee in that game against Illinois. And Jim Harbaugh Harbaugh at a press conference today was very evasive, not surprisingly, 
So he's not telling you anything. And I don't know if we're going to get any information on that throughout this week. If Blake Corum is healthy enough to play and he shows out and Michigan wins against Ohio State, uh, remember I did a deep dive on Blake a couple weeks ago. Blake Corum is going to New York. If that if all if all that happens, now that's a lot. It's a lot of if if if. But if that happens, uh, he's got to be there. Uh, he, he just he just has to be. Um, if none of that happens, if they lose, if he doesn't play, if he doesn't look good, and he and he does play, but he doesn't look good or dominating. You mentioned Max Duggan. Mm. I, I think I think he's certainly a guy that deserves a lot of consideration. Um, there are two guys that I don't think have any chance at it, but I think have been spectacular. And I'm, you know, I don't like Mr. Contrarian who always tries to pick up a defensive player just to, I'm not being that guy, but I'm telling you right now, Jalen Carter of Georgia, it might be the most unblockable player in college football Mm -hmm. and could be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, He's not going to get the, he's not going to win the award, but he should get a little more discussion. And if Stetson Bennett, if Stetson Bennett, you know, they're going to beat Georgia Tech. And if they if he throws for like 350 against LSU and Atlanta, he's got to get some serious consideration. Again, there's a lot of ifs in there. But to me, those are the names that are left. And I, if I'm missing one, forgive me. But I I just don't see anybody else. I think I think Williams and Stroud are are poised for a, a trip to New York and try to figure out who that third guy, that fourth guy is going to be, will be within the uh, first couple names I mentioned. Yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're looking for somebody that probably will get screwed, it'll probably be Duggan from TCU or Stetson Bennett. That's my take. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's going to take a lot for them. Yeah. To, 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 they're going to – like Duggan is going to have to light it up in the Big 12 chain. Nobody's going to be watching TCU, Iowa State. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in my Heisman brethren to keep up with that game. Um, I, I, but the, the Big 12 championship game, you have to pay attention to that if you're a credible voter. And, and everybody watches the SEC championship game or keeps eyes on it. So that will uh, draw some attention. But I, it, I'll just go back to if Blake Corum can play and he puts on a show against Ohio State and Michigan wins that game, he deserves to be there. Yeah, I love him. I think he's a really good player. Like I said, watched a lot of that Illinois game, and uh, Illinois did a pretty good job. But uh, and certainly his health, uh, you know, needs to be addressed. But uh, uh, gosh, what a player! What a player he is. All right, guys. Moving along, we'll we'll get into uh, in the next question. We'll get into more of a look ahead uh, to this weekend and, and see if we can break down just a couple of little things and, and little ideas from uh, some of these games coming up. But there's one I want to go back to a topic that we uh, discussed in the first month of the season because you know there was a lot of coaching changes that happened <laughs> through the first handful of shows uh, that we did. One of those was at Georgia Tech, and uh, Mike, you did mention. Uh, Georgia Tech pulling the upset on North Carolina, who was just sort of quietly going about their business. I know the last time that that I was on the show with you guys, my last question was, hey, should we be talking about North Carolina more? You know, Drake May is just mm-hmm. kind of they're just kind of going around and, and doing their thing. One loss team. And uh, lo and behold, they blew that 17 point lead, did not score in the second half. And, and Georgia Tech came back to win with their third and fourth string quarterback um, again in the drunk Saturday that uh, that you have dubbed it. But uh we had a lot of fun talking about the possibility of Deion Sanders being the head coach at Georgia tech, you know, a, a guy going back uh, into Atlanta where he's, where he's popular and, and being able to use his personality there, but has Georgia tech actually found their next head coach in uh in a former player in Brent key who uh, his, uh, they were one and three under Jeff Collins and they're four and three uh, under the interim coach. You guys think Brent key is actually the key to the future for Georgia tech. Yeah. I mean, with all the talk about, uh, Cadillac Williams and, and the job he's done in the interim basis at Auburn. And there's, there's a, a major push going on to uh, cons- have him be considered as a serious candidate. This is a guy who was an, a running backs coach at the IMG Academy a few years ago. So you want to talk about it, not exactly high on experience. I mean, certainly Brent key has that advantage and look, I don't expect Georgia tech to go quote unquote, big game hunting because this is not a job that attracts the elite candidates. And you look at their hiring record, uh, the last three job, the the last three times it was open, they don't they they have to be uh, very creative in their list. And so, yeah, I think he's up absolutely. 
I think he I think he's up there for for Georgia Tech. I don't think Dion I don't think De- I don't think Georgia Tech's even on Dion's radar if we're, if we're being honest about it. And I'm not sure if Dion is on Auburn's radar as much as many people want that to happen. Again, from a pure entertainment standpoint, I would love to see Dion coach in the SEC. I think it'd be a reality show uh, that would that would blow last chance you away. And you know I'm a last chance you fan, but I don't know if either one of those things are going to happen. I think the people that want these good will stories to happen, right? Uh, Cadillac to Cadillac or Dion to take the Auburn job. Um, uh, I just forgot the other one that I was going to say. The, well, Georgia Tech, perhaps, you know, Dion to go there. All, all those things sound good in, in a in a vacuum, but it, and when reality comes, I don't think that's where any of these jobs are going. I, I, I just don't. And then you've got the Lane Kiffin, you know, situation there. Um, and I I know I know John Cohen fairly well, the new AD at Auburn. And, and we know it's Auburn. The AD has a say, and so do a lot of other people. But he is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He he doesn't want drama, and he's a big character guy. And I, I think the Auburn job search, don't mean to go off uh, subject here, Mike, with, with Brent Key at Georgia Tech. I think the Auburn search is still going to be fascinating. Yeah, I, as far as Key goes, I, I, I look, man, this team was not only uh, not very well coached, uh, it just wasn't very good, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech got the players. Uh, to, so to, to eke out a four and three record and, and knock off a top whatever North Carolina team, uh, shutting them out in the second half, by the way, mm-hmm. in Chapel Hill, um, you know, that, that says something, you know, he, he, I think there's a difference between him and Cadillac. I think he doesn't necessarily have to beat Georgia to get the job at Tech because uh, he's a Tech alum, uh, and he has done a fantastic job of, of getting that thing headed back toward, you know, back out of the abyss, you know. Um, I, I think with Cadillac, uh, barring a win in the Iron Bowl, I can't, I can't see it happening. Although it would fit their MO at Auburn of hiring, you know, guys that are kind of like got connections there and giving them a bunch of money to hire staff and <laughs> away they go. Uh, and it's worked for them before it's worked for them before, but you know, you mentioned Cohen and I, I think that's a big key to the Auburn situation, Mike, is that they've, they've got like an AD that's uh you know, like you said, no nonsense. Uh, they hired him for a reason. He took that job for a reason. Uh, so I think it is going to get fascinating. All right, guys, absolutely, and I know we'll have uh, plenty of opportunities to to break down and where things are going. Like, I, I guess Jim Leonard is maybe the the other uh, guy that you expect as an interim to just go ahead and get the the job. Seems like it, and that it feels like that's where yeah that one's headed. So maybe only a, a handful of other places, unless we see some other heads roll that we might not be expecting. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get any more Lincoln Riley, uh, Brian Kelly uh, things. What back to back days that we had in in uh, November, huh. December last year. Uh, don't don't quite expect that craziness, but certainly the the carousel started moving earlier this year. So it will be fascinating to see what happens in December uh, after we get through the holidays and, and this season to see where things are going to land for a lot of coaches and a lot of programs. Uh, just final question. Um, I, I guess it's a simple one, uh, but beyond the big game, uh, obviously we know what the implications are for that. And, and Mike, you touched on the the whole rivalry weekend and wishing that we had you know multiple weekends of it all. But is there anything else? Any other games that that are catching your eye, something else that you would, uh, if, if you weren't going to watch Michigan, Ohio state or, or any, or anything else, which other games are, are on your radar for this weekend? Well, look, I have a curiosity after what South Carolina did against Tennessee. Uh, did they finally make that Clemson game competitive? That, that rivalry has been a little lopsided, uh, over the last five or six years. Are, are they able to just can Spencer Rattler do that two weeks in a row against quality competition? I, I want to see that. I I, I really uh, uh, want to see if that can happen. What's interesting to me is that you look at these rivalry games. So that one, by the way, Clemson, 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Georgia, Georgia Tech, again, you talk to any Georgia fan, Georgia Tech's not even in their top three rivals, but Georgia, for what it's worth, is a 35-and-a-half-point favorite in that uh, ball game. North Carolina, six-and-a-half-point favorite over NC State. Do we want to call Tennessee-Vanderbilt a, a rivalry? Um, they get have no hand in hooker. Ten, uh, Vanderbilt, by the way, is playing for bowl eligibility. 
They are playing for bowl eligibility if they win that game. We've got 40 bowl games. We have 75 teams that are currently bowl eligible for the 80 slots. We've got about 15 teams that have five wins that need one more. Georgia Tech, Miami, Michigan State, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Auburn, Georgia Southern, Louisiana, just to name a, a few. Uh, the Egg Bowl, two teams that uh, are, are reeling a little bit. Uh, Ole Miss is a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Mississippi State, so that's a that's a low number. That's a good number for a rivalry game. Um, Mike Leach would be well-served to win one of those to uh, have some goodwill going into next year. But like I said, there's a lot of just lopsided lines for um, – for the for the are we calling A and M LSU a rivalry game? I, I don't think so, but but LSU is a nine and a half point favorite there. Um, the Apple Cup here's a good one. Washington State getting two points against Washington that'll be in Pullman, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Goodness gracious! I mean, the stuff that's surrounding this game. The Hokies mm. are a one and a half point favorite in that game. Um, yeah, I mean for me it's. It, Auburn, Alabama, and, and Alabama's a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't care what – and then you add the, the Cadillac-Williams storyline. So to answer your question, Mike, as I uh, circle the universe to get to my final answer, I will go with the Iron Bowl. I know that's obvious for some, and I know Alabama's a heavy favorite, but the, the second most intriguing game in a lot of ways is that one. And then, I, again, I'd go back to uh, Carolina-Clemson is very uh, – intriguing as well all right i got one for you iowa and nebraska mm. uh iowa has one of the worst offenses in a, in, the, in america in the country iowa wins they go to indianapolis to play for the big 10 title. that's right that's ah! right uh my boy brett bielema just couldn't get it done man uh they uh now if iowa loses to nebraska then and purdue beats indiana um, Purdue goes now. If Purdue mm -hmm. loses and Iowa loses and Illinois wins, I, I think it gets kind of jumbled up. Uh, you could actually see a bunch of five and four teams <laughs> all tied in the Big Ten West, which is basically the ACC coastal coastal of yeah. the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> but man, as bad as Iowa has been on offense all year from the get go, and, and they're just a little bit better now. My goodness, what a sacrificial lamb for the Big Ten championship. Uh, if they get the call, but hey, they've won. They've managed to beat some teams. They they play good defense, so we'll see what happens. But that's a, that's a game I kind of have on, on my radar because I I just I uh, can't believe Iowa could end up winning the, that that division. Yeah, it's really uh, where things have gone for their their offense this year, and and uh, getting a, a rematch with either Michigan or Ohio State, and in that game, I nobody really wants to see that, but. You, you speak of all that craziness that could happen, uh, JC. I was just one of those teams that I don't know. Like, uh, it, it, they're horrible <laughs> on offense, but they. Uh, what's your what's your term that you've thrown out before? Spiderweb team. They are. Uh, yeah, they're, and, and, they're, they're that kind of team. And they were competitive early. Uh, I think they played at Ohio State and Columbus, and, and they're de they they got enough on defense to keep it closer, close ish early. And then Ohio State just ended up blowing them out, but it, it was uh it was I watched I watched some of that game. It was competitive. So uh, go Hawkeyes, go Hawkeyes. Did you guys see the Big Ten scores? By the way, I mean, it, it, somebody tweeted out it, just the overall Big Ten score, and I realize it's colder weather, but heck, it's been cold in the Southeast. I mean, it was it was cold through uh, just about everywhere this past Saturday. And it's not like these big 10 uh, games were played in a foot of snow, but you look at it, you've got Purdue beat Northwestern 17, nine Michigan beat Illinois, 19, 17 Wisconsin beat Nebraska 15 to 14 Iowa beat Minnesota 13 to 10. I mean, like you would like to just get a little more offense. <laughs> that's not all great defense that's being played there. No, no. And, 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 you know, and it has been cold uh, in this part of the country, but it's uh, you're right. You know, you, you kind of like to see a little more. It was just, it was one of those Saturdays, man. It just uh, every big 10 game you turned on, it just felt like a, like a freaking slobber knocker. Right. Um, so, you know, can I say one more thing on the big 10? 
Yes. If you look at Brett Bielma's tweet of the no call on a critical fourth down conversion late in that game, it's clearly uh, a pick or an offensive interference call. It didn't go called. The, the officiating in, in that game was was pretty lopsided, and I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but we do we are dealing with humans out there calling these games. Everybody wants Michigan-Ohio State undefeated. Illinois was there to spoil the party. If there's a gray area, Michigan was getting that gray area, and, and, and they got it. I love the way Bielema handled it, by the way. He just – he said, sorry, Illinois fans, we need to learn how to defend this play better, I guess. <laughs> but you watch it, and it's clearly <laughs> offensive pass interference uh, yeah, completely, that they got away with. Yeah, completely screwed, man. It's just uh, – I'm friends with a lot of Illinois people, and they were like – you know, and then they're not as passionate. I mean, they're more passionate about the Bears, but uh, they do care. And they're like, yeah, kind of got screwed on that one, the line yeah. I did. You know? That host. Host. That host. Give me <laughs> my broad. Oh my gosh. Well, you guys, uh, you wanna wanna do a little uh SEC spotlight that I think will yeah, uh bring will it. turn into a, a a deeper dive here. Let, let's just lead off. We've already talked about South Carolina, Tennessee, and you mentioned uh Arkansas with the the rousing upset over Ole Miss, uh, who did not get back into the game until the fourth quarter, and it was it was well in hand uh for for um Sam Pittman and his Razorbacks, but uh, I, I do want to ask this question, and obviously no one expected them to win this weekend. Uh, Georgia handles Kentucky. Uh, the Wildcats finish six and five um, uh, through the SEC slate, three and five in the league. Uh, excuse me. With that, um, what quite a quite a fall from grace for the Wildcats and some of the expectations and, and things that they they had in mind after the first uh, few weeks of the season, huh, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I go back to, I had him in the spring. I had him in week one. Um, That offensive line was going to be an issue all year long. That was not going to go away. Uh, Will Levis is a very talented player. I know he didn't have a very great year. Uh, We'll see what that does with his draft stock. But to pin all this on Will Levis is an exercise in silliness. The defense lost a lot of key guys. Their offensive line is leaky. And you've got your top receivers are all freshmen. And so, you know, we've had Chris Doring on the the, the uh, podcast. He predicted 11-1. and one. That was a little little lofty. They're, they're going to be happy if they can defeat Louisville, another one of those kind of under-the-radar radar games, uh, excuse me, rivalry games, where if Kentucky wins it, they're 7-5. and five. If they lose, they're 6-6. Six and six. It's a 10-win team a year ago with a potential first-round draft pick at quarterback. They, they did everything they could to battle Georgia. And Georgia fans complaining that, you know, they won ugly. Yeah, that, that's what Kentucky does. So 16 to six, you, you, you take it, but uh, no, I, I think for, for Mark Stoops and company, and by the way, they, they just announced his extension. Um, he's going to be there for a long time, which I think is good. I think Mark Stoops is a great coach, but this was not a, this was just one of those years where if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. And that la- that loss against Vanderbilt doesn't look quite as bad after watching Vanderbilt beat Florida, you know, again, it's not just a drunk Saturday. There's been a lot of, of uh, intoxication in the SEC this year, but but yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky definitely uh, a disappointing season, and they're probably going to lose Will Levis. And I don't know if they have a quarterback that's really waiting in the wings there that's going to be an impact player. So I think 2023 becomes a fascinating case study for Kentucky football. Yeah, I think. Uh... If it's not the kid they started against South Carolina, and, and look, I I watched him play live. He's got some. I mean, he's not just a a bad. You know, sometimes the backup quarterback comes in, Mike, as you pointed out on a recent episode, and it's just awful. And it did affect their offense. But he's got a nice arm. He's somewhat mobile. He's an in-state player mm-hmm. uh, from the Commonwealth. Uh, he'll have to get better to win that job. My guess is they probably hit the portal. Yeah, they're good at hitting the portal. My guess is they hit the portal and get one of these guys from somewhere that's not happy. Like, you know, Georgia, I think has what uh, one of Georgia's quarterbacks at some point will probably hit the portal. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to stir anything up, but they've got a lot of talented guys uh, that are kind of just sitting there. Um, but yeah, I, and you know, I, I think this is life as, as the coach at Kentucky too, because you called it from the beginning, Mike, they've had a top three offensive line in the league. Uh, for about the last two or three years, and they just did not this year. It was a rebuilding year at that particular position. I think people just assumed 
that uh, Stoops would have a good O-line because he normally does, that can get you in trouble. Uh, and, and I think Rodriguez kind of missing that time kept them from – I mean, just a lot of stuff's happened up there. I, I still think, you know, you beat Louisville and you win your bowl, you're still 8-5, and five. I mean, mm-hmm. which is still a great record uh, for mm-hmm. Stoops and then still a great record for Kentucky. But, uh, you know, I, I do agree. After Levis, it's going to be interesting to not only see that, but – you know, is he going to continue trying to run this same type of offense? What's the line, the offensive line look like next year? You know, you've got those really talented young skill guys in Brown and Key. Uh, it, it will be fascinating uh, moving forward with UK. And uh, other thing in the SEC I wanted to mention, uh, other than Clark Lee, was, uh, you know, you talked about the Ole Miss-Arkansas game. I, I think a big factor for Arkansas and has been all year has been K.J. Jefferson and his health. Uh, I think when you when you set up your offense to be and you have that kind of guy, you know, there's not a lot of KJ Jeffersons out there, right? That do, that do what he does within the scope of that thing, uh, and then you have very limited players. Malik Hornsby is a great athlete that can run, uh, but he's not a passer. Cade Fortin's a little bit better passer, but he's very limited. Uh, I think that affects your offense, and, and like you always say, Mike, quarterback is almost is everything in this game. And uh, I think that's kind of what was hurting them. And, you know, I do think Ole Miss had a little bit of a hangover. And, you know, the Hogs, I think, uh, got up off the mat and won. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Ole Miss had six points through three quarters. Yeah. They, sc- they scored 21 when the game was out of hand. But they were they were down 42-6 to six going into the fourth quarter. That, that was a, whoa, that's a hangover. I mean, Arkansas's defense is not that nasty. That is – that's a hangover situation. And look, I, I, players are now more than ever with social media. They're not in the dark. They know Lane Kiffin is being heavily rumored uh, for the Auburn job. That's a distraction. You don't you don't need all of that going on, but it, it's a reality of of where we are. Um, so that that combined just added up to that. Still been a, a really good year for Ole Miss. And again, that that Egg Bowl is everything. Speaking of underrated. Um, rivalry games that that's a that's a really fun game I had a chance to call one of those on radio a few years ago it's egg bowl is uh it's outstanding because much like much like carolina clemson you know there are no pro teams it, it's all about those two schools you're a couple hours apart like it's just uh it, it's 365 days out of the year so that that game will be a, a lot of fun going back to the florida vandy thing if you look at the stats, you saw Anthony Richardson threw for 400 yards and three touchdowns. If you watched any of the game, he was not particularly good. When they needed key throws, he still doesn't make them. He doesn't seem to want to run on zone reads for whatever reason. Um, th- there's just something that's – for all the hype that that kid had after week the week one win against Utah, he has been – he has been, I don't know, at best middle of the pack in the SEC quarterback play this year. It's – um it's interesting to see what they're going to do. Is he going to go pro? I mean, people talk about Will Levis's stock dropping. You got people like Mel Kuyper saying Anthony Richardson's a first-round pick, and it just doesn't translate when you watch him play in college. So I get it. Like, he's a freakish athlete. Uh, but we were all around to watch Cam Newton. He was a freakish athlete, but Cam Newton could make all the throws. Cam Newton produced. That's not Anthony Richardson up to this point. But that was the other game that's just <laughs> – uh, again, kudos to Clark Lee, but that's a real punch to the gut. If you're Billy Napier in Florida, they're, they're now taking on a red-hot Florida State team. If you lose that one on a Friday night, you fall to six and six. Uh, that's that's not why they you know made changes in Gainesville was to go six and six in year number one. Uh, the other games: LSU blowing out UAB, Missouri winner over New Mexico State, Auburn takes care of uh, Western Kentucky. And, uh, you know, Alabama blows out uh, Austin P. But Jameer Gibbs did not play in that game, by the way. Mississippi State blows out ETSU. And a- did you see the crowd at A&M in their win against UMass? Ooh. What crowd? Uh, it was like it was evacuated. That is, uh, that is beyond. Virtually empty stadium. It was wild. Yeah, when you see the 100,000 and you only have a, like five, it really shows up big time on TV. Uh, and those shots made so they made the rounds on social media. That's for sure. Look, Jimbo, he's got an eighty-five million dollar buyout. He's not getting fired this year, but it's going to be fascinating what goes on this uh, this off season in College Station. 
All right, guys. Well, uh, I know our next uh, couple of segments also have some SEC uh, tent to them. So uh, you want to do under the radar? You want to do deep dive? Which one you want to do first? I can roll I'll through take... the – go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. No, you go ahead. I can roll through the deep dive. I, I know we're going to talk South Carolina, and I'll just say this. I think – and, you know, knowing that program better than – most, you know, on the outside, you guys obviously follow it and all because we all have connections there. I, I've said all year, South Carolina's got better players on offense than what they've been playing, right? Uh, and you saw Juice Wells, uh, how good he is. You saw Josh Van, what he can be. Uh, you saw a guy like Jaheim Bell, who's playing kind of out of position at, at kind of a hybrid running back spot. And, and then you saw Spencer Rattler kind of get into a zone throwing it. Uh, and them setting him up for success. Uh, a lot of what they've done offensively this year has been very methodical and slow and complex, and they just went out and played ball. And, and I think that is a better approach for Rattler and this group. Uh, unfortunately, there's only one regular season game left uh, than trying to be way overly complex. And I think defensively, even though the stats, you know, they gave up 505 yards or whatever, uh, I think it's pretty clear South Carolina's got a pretty good secondary. Uh, Cam Smith shut Jalen Hyatt down in the second half in a battle of two players from Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Hooker did get hurt, but the Gamecocks affected the passer uh, against them. And, and look, Tennessee, they're going to get theirs. They've gotten theirs against everybody in, in the country this year. What you have to do is make sure, you know, you get more than they do. Uh, and that you limit them and you don't ever let them get momentum. And I only felt, and this is a key for anybody else who wants to beat Tennessee this year, you cannot let them get momentum. And if they try to get a little bit of it, you have to answer. It's so critical because they're so, I don't want to say a streaky team, but they thrive. Their whole program is based around putting pressure on the other team. Uh, and I talked to, uh, we talked to Wes Rucker from Vols 24-7 on my other show this week about that. And so teams that do that, what they want is they want to seize momentum and they want you to start reeling and questioning yourself and all this other mm -hmm. stuff because there's so much pressure they put on it. The Gamecocks answered that each and every time. Uh, and I think, you know, I thought to a certain extent Alabama did uh, against Tennessee this year. Uh, they just didn't come out on top because then Tennessee counterpunched. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Gamecocks counterpunched and survived all of that uh, better than uh, I think anybody else that I've seen play Tennessee this year. And I also think South Carolina's got pretty good players. Uh, they've not always been put in the best position to succeed. Uh, but I think all that recruiting Will Muschamp did and the, the recruiting under Shane Beamer so far has been good. Uh, I think that's starting to pay off. And so well, JC, uh, to, to that point, uh, I do want to, to point out, you can shed a little bit more light on how this is actually uh, cold together, but an, an interesting uh, stat that I did see in the aftermath of this game is the, the 24 seven sports overall talent composite rankings had South Carolina at number 20 and Tennessee was number 19. So to, to see just the vast difference in on-field performance throughout this season, uh, it was quite something to see uh, with two teams that really uh, recruiting wise um, were not separated by that much. Yeah. And what that is that, that talent composite, it's kind of a guideline. They don't really, it's just basically their recruiting ranking when they got to school and, or got to uh, got to college. They they don't really take into account player development, injuries, anything like that. But yeah. it does give you a nice idea about like number one, you know, that South Carolina does have some pretty good players. But then number two, it almost makes what Tennessee's done even more impressive uh, last week, notwithstanding, because you know they're not really doing it with a bunch of five stars. You know, they haven't really been that good. With them. I mean, Hyatt was a three. I don't remember what Tillman was. Hooker was a low four-star coming out. Um, their backs, small and right, were not big-time recruits. Uh, they have a veteran line that had some guys that were decorated. But basically, Tennessee's just done it with a bunch of older players who, who you know, have bought into the system. Uh, and I think that works in college football, too. So, uh, you know, despite their loss, you know, you kind of look at that, Michael, and you can kind of see some things about both those teams uh, that maybe the the general public doesn't realize. All right. Well, that's a good deep dive there with uh, the Gamecocks and how they pulled off a big upset uh, there. Mike, you want to roll on to the next topic in the under the radar? Yeah, I'm just going to uh, stay with uh, SEC quarterbacks here and go to Mike Wright. Mike Wright 
you know, fought for that job. He actually got benched in a, in a, the loss to Wake Forest this year. That was the low point of the season for Mike Wright, but he's battled his way back. And he's, <clears throat> he went to SEC media days, was a hit there. He's a very likable young man. He, he's been a, a huge part of Vanderbilt showing a pulse this year and picking up wins like Florida, like Kentucky. Uh, and again, we'll see what they do, what he does specifically against Tennessee. He's a, a, a young man I had to kind of, Go back and look a little bit. Six four hundred ninety five out of Fayetteville, Georgia. Uh, now in his junior year, so he's going to be back next year. And when we talk about kind of the hierarchy of quarterback play next year in the SEC, and we talk so much at the beginning of the year and coming in, how this could be a, and in a lot of ways it has. I mean, Daniels has been terrific at LSU. Stetson Bennett has done <clears throat> Stetson Bennett thing. We we finally saw Spencer Rattler show what a lot of people thought he would show more often. It's been a down year for Will Levis uh, overall, and nothing materialized at quarterback for AM. Dart's been overall pretty good at, at Ole Miss, and, and Will Rogers has been, you know, he just does what he does in that offense at, in Starkville. So it's, it's been a good year of quarterback play, but a lot of those guys will be, will be gone next year. And so uh, keep an eye on Mike Wright. I think uh, he deserves a little limelight and uh, a little bit of excitement about what he might do. Remember, Vanderbilt's never going to get like top 25 recruiting classes, but with the portal, they could pluck a couple wide receivers out there. There's now some, some sign of hope and life that Vanderbilt can move the football in the SEC on offense, you know, in, in year two now of Clark Lee, there's some things to be uh, semi excited about there. So uh, just a, a little under the radar and what he's been able to do. And again, Vanderbilt as a whole, whether or not they get the sixth win, Next Saturday, or, or whether they do that or not, they're a terrific story. Uh, they, they really are. You can't even put into words how bad Vanderbilt football got uh, over the last couple of years. And the fact that they're sitting there, one went away from bowl eligibility, uh, that's a tremendous turnaround by Clark Lee. All right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens against Tennessee this week, especially uh, without Hendon Hooker in the lineup. And, um, yeah, uh, the, the, you talked about a hangover with uh, with Ole Miss uh, coming out of that. I'm, I'm very curious to see what the the mentality of Tennessee having to go on the road and come up to Nashville and play uh, that game. I, they're two touchdown favorites. You expect them. They're the mm -hmm. better team. They should do it. But, yeah, that's a, it's suddenly a little bit more of an intriguing contest than one might have predicted uh, just three weeks ago. Uh, with that in mind, guys, you want to uh, you want to do a little pick five? Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, want to, you want me to – you know, don't make me twist your arm now. Want to want to punish us on the way out? Go ahead. Let's let's well, knock it out. Punish you on the way out. You know what? I'll be nice. I won't even talk about the records. Let's just we're throwing the records out. It's rivalry week. You throw the records, <laughs> throw the records out. Right? out. Yeah. Throw the <laughs> records out. It's a it's a new it's a new dawn, gentlemen. So uh, here we go. Uh, your first of the uh, pick five uh, here. Uh, we're gonna go with Oregon. Oregon State. We'll start out west. The Civil War. Uh, the Beavers. Uh, oddly enough, uh, they are three and a half point favorites at home in this game, guys. What do you got? They've been surprisingly good this year. That's been one of those under the radar uh, type seasons over there in Corvallis. But I'm going to take Oregon. Actually, uh, I, I do apologize. I do apologize. <laughs> I have it written on it is it is Oregon three and a half, and that, that I was like that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I, I, I was about, it is Oregon. I was like I think I said that when my ticket got that. when my ticket went to the window, <laughs> I was getting points. I, I think you have to honor that. Uh, it is, that's, that's it is what it the said. Ducks no, I'll, I'll take Oregon either way. I I I just think uh, Oregon is a, a better team. Uh, I know they had their. They're, uh, the wind kind of come out of their sails with that last second loss, loss to Washington, but I'll take the Ducks. I'm going to go Ducks as well. You, you did mention Oregon State. Uh, Jonathan Smith, kind of like a Clark Lee type of hire. You know, he was the, uh, I think, the OC at Washington under Chris Peterson, and he's an Oregon State alum. Uh, and he's had them competitive. You know, they actually beat, they beat Oregon the pandemic year in Corvallis. Um, it's kind of a weird year, right? Pac-10 teams played like – Pac-12 played like four games, right? But, uh, you know, I, I just think Oregon's going to refocus. Uh, I think Oregon has to win to get to the Pac-12 championship game. Um, and, and so three and a half, you know, I think they'll win and cover, though I do think the Beavers will give a spirited, uh, a spirited performance. 
All right. And another game that will uh, have an impact, well, at least a game that will have an impact on the college football playoff uh, in this one. Uh, Notre Dame at Southern Cal. Uh, the Irish bounce back after an early season loss to, to Marshall. Quarterback issues galore. But here they are, a top 20 team, eight and three on the year and uh, facing Lincoln Riley's uh, now upstart Trojans who are 10 and one and, and hoping to uh, at least stake, stake their claim. Uh, to a title game and a chance at the college football playoff. We've got the Trojans at home, five-point favorites. Notre Dame's defense has been terrific here of late. I mean, it is all laid out perfectly for Southern Cal, now now under a heavy, heavy spotlight, to win out, to get into the playoff, and for Cale Will Williams to win the Heisman. And I mean, those things are all very much within range. You control all those things to happen. And it all starts with an impressive performance against Notre Dame. I think that impressive performance will happen and I'll take Southern Gal. I think Notre Dame's going to give them a lot of problems, uh, especially with the defense. But at the end of the day, the Trojans, I think have too much firepower offensively uh, compared to Notre Dame. It's out there. It, it's a, it's a huge, probably one of the biggest home games SC's had in a long time against their old rival, uh, I think SC wins, but I think it'll be like a touchdown to 10 points. I, I think you'll, you'll see a, you know, it's an old school rivalry game that maybe has lost some relevance. Uh, it's going to be relevant Saturday. And I, I think the Irish will give a good account of themselves, but uh, I think, I think SC has too much firepower. I would worry if I were a Trojan about the following week, especially if Oregon wins and gets in that championship game, because the ducks are dangerous, but uh, I think, I think SC wins this weekend. All right, and what could uh, potentially be the final matchup between uh, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin uh, in the Egg Bowl? Remember, guys, when when those two gentlemen were hired, we're like, oh, my God, I've never been more interested in Mississippi State and Ole Miss <laughs> than I am right now. Uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast uh, with Bruce Feldman on it, and he threw the chances of Lane Kiffin going to the Plains to coach Auburn at 75%. Uh, mm. It's pretty plugged in and connected, so this Bruce. very well be the very last time we see uh, the intriguing Mike Leach-Lane Kiffin matchup in the Egg Bowl. We've got the Rebels, uh, after their hangover loss, uh, two-and-a-half-point home favorites on Thursday. Guys, what do we got? Boy, if um, if they are motivated, and whatever, whatever was uh, afflicting them in the first three quarters against Arkansas, uh, I, I've seen both these teams up close this year. I, I think that Ole Miss is the better overall team. Um, I think it's a good game, but I would, I would lean Ole Miss. I would, I would lean the Rebels. Feldman's report backs up what I've been hearing from some folks close to the Auburn situation too. Uh, I, I think Lane Kiffin, regardless of win, lose, draw, whatever, I think he's done a fantastic job this year. As you pointed out, Mike, they are a good football team. He lost seventeen starters off last year's team, and he had them in the playoff uh, hunt and the top 10 for the most of the year. I, I think kind of we're seeing now we are they are who we thought they were a little bit uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, and I think that, you know, Leach, they, they've had kind of their – they, they kind of go up and down in Starkville. I think, I think you know, they beat East Tennessee this past week, and now they're going to cycle back up. Leach is due in this rivalry. He's due. He's lost two competitive games uh, to Kiffin. So – I'm going to go with the uh, the slight upset and say that uh, he sends Kiffin onto the Plains with a loss at home in the Egg Bowl to start to the Bulldogs. All right. Yeah, and nobody I'm... lift their leg and pee like a dog, please. <laughs> Boy, did that change the <laughs> that fate of a lot of people. Change a lot of things, man. No doubt. No doubt. Well, uh, again, uh, South Carolina's uh, ridiculously odd lopsided victory over Tennessee changed a lot of things in the college football playoff. I had this one written down. So I'm glad that you guys mentioned that you were intrigued by how things might turn around uh, in that game. Um, Clemson is a 14 and a half point home favorite. Again, Mike, you mentioned they have dominated this rivalry the last uh, several years as they have uh, won a couple of national championships and stockpiled talent. I believe they've held South Carolina under 10 points in four of the last five years, uh, I think is a stat that I saw for that one. But again, South Carolina sort of Jekyll and Hyde. We saw at their absolute perfect best what they can do uh we've seen them at their absolute worst uh the, the previous week against florida but the tigers at home noon kickoff in death valley 14 and a half point favorites which way are you leaning on that one 
I'll take the points. Uh, if this game was at Williams Bryce, who knows? But look, let's not forget Clemson's still got a lot to play for. Now, I, I think they're behind the eight ball. If it's again a beauty contest of one loss teams, I, I, I think that Notre Dame loss is a killer in the, in the conference cred as a whole this year has not done them any favors, but, but that's not what they're going to sell in that locker room. A, you don't have to sell beating your in-state rival that speaks for itself, but B you let them know we're still very much in the hunt for the playoff. Uh, so you're going to get Clemson's best shot for sure. Uh, Death Valley, tough place to play. Obviously can't remember how many in a row it's been now for, for Dabo and that group winning at home. Uh, but I'll take 14 and a half. That's a little higher number than I thought it would be. I'll take the points, too. Uh, I think South Carolina will play competitively. Uh, Gamecocks didn't have much firepower on offense last year. And, uh, Clemson's defense, I thought, was better last year. I, 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 it's kind of baffling to me sometimes. Clemson does not play as well uh, as, as their talent would indicate. But, uh, you know, the Gamecocks have their attention, and uh, sometimes that motivates those guys. So I, I'll take the points and, you know, let the chips fall where they may with that one. All right, then final uh, one of the pick five, obviously the big game, the one with the, the most implications on the college football playoff for the first time since 2006, Michigan and Ohio State face each other undefeated. It's on the horseshoe. Buckeyes, seven and a half point home favorites. Uh, again, not knowing the status of quorum, uh, this is one I would never, ever pick without knowing whether or not a Heisman Trophy candidate running back is going to play not play is he 100 percent? is he 75 they're very tight-lipped about it as we speak um i yeah i you know what uh, again in the spirit of um hoping that it's a good competitive game i have no dog in the fight I'll, I'll take the points but i do think ohio state gets revenge from last year wins at home and goes to another playoff I'm going to take the points here. I think we're going to see an absolute classic. Uh, obviously, quorum, a potential quorum absence would change that equation, Mike. But, uh, uh, you know, can I can I do if quorum plays, they'll cover. If not, absolutely. I'll by about 21. <laughs> yeah, I think we're yeah. both on that same page. Yeah, because if quorum doesn't play, I mean, I don't think Michigan's got the horses. Michigan surprised me all year, good and bad. Uh, mostly good. The bad was this past weekend against Illinois. But, man, Illinois has a number – like a top five defense and stuff. So yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go if quorum closer than the spread, if not uh, probably about a 21 point Buckeye victory. All right, gentlemen. Well, that wraps it up for the pick five and uh, may the odds be in your favor to uh, now that we've wiped the slate clean going into robbery week for you, that you, uh, you both finish above 500 as we end the year. That would be, no, I had a good stretch there. Uh, I had a four and one and like a three and two, and then the wheels kind of, uh, uh, came off and again uh, we don't get to pick the games that Michael chooses he just throws them at us and tries to punish us on a weekly basis because clearly he's a sadist pain pain <laughs> my prediction pain <laughs> uh before we wrap things up guys just any kind of thoughts on the the, the week coming up maybe uh maybe a little personal note or two a little thanksgiving a little family time and football how do you how do you balance those things michael you're you're jet setting all around town, uh, singing and performing uh, musical art when you're not yeah. uh, providing great college football commentary. What's what's it look like for you? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a, a very um, uh, nice co-write uh, with a, a gentleman named Philip Lamons, uh, who is uh, a, a South Carolina native, uh, but he's written a handful of number one hits and uh, he's putting together an album right now. Had none other than Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. Uh, play on that for him just a couple of weeks ago so uh, i'm pretty excited to sit down with philip who i've known for uh, a while and and get some uh get some new thoughts and some new ideas out just before the holiday and then heading back to south carolina and, and spending some time uh with my family there through through the weekend got a, another uh, gig and show uh at a place called the senate in, in columbia so uh yeah that's it just kind of mixing business and family and pleasure and all, all the all go. the good things good deal jc Ah, yep, yeah, uh, right here in a uh, good old uh, warm Chicago. Uh, so gonna uh, gonna take a little turkey. We got we got the boys. So a little turkey, a little football, uh, a little downtime, family wise. Uh, getting ready for uh, this weekend of of outstanding rivalry games. 
I will be uh, with the wife in the Commonwealth of Kentucky with her family, uh, taking it all in and uh, hitting the road to uh, call some games and then uh, getting back to Atlanta um, for the rest of um, the rest of the month before December hits and kind of all over the place. Excited about uh, one of my bowl assignments. I've got the Myrtle Beach Bowl. So I will be in Myrtle. Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach. Or the right. bowl game. I uh, don't know who's going to play yet. It doesn't matter. It's going to be fun. That's a that's a cool spot, uh, obviously. And Marty and McGee actually called that game, I, I believe, last year. Yeah, kind they of a, did. Yeah. Inter- kind of interesting crew there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're at Kenny Powers, eastbound and down, season three. Yes. Uh, Minor League Baseball yeah. journey. Yeah, yes, yes. they did it at the, the Myrtle Beach Pelican Stadium. So yeah, uh, my yeah. friend was an extra in that. So oh, very cool. Episode, so yeah, very cool. Yeah. So it's uh no, it's gonna be a fun time, and of course, uh, uh, many of us will be watching some NFL football as well on Thanksgiving. It's just such a great time to be a uh, a football fan this time of year, and and hopefully we'll hopefully this Saturday. You know, we had we just had drunk Saturday. Hopefully, rivalry Saturday will provide some uh some shockers some thrillers and all all kinds of uh all kinds of good stuff as we are uh, blessed to have another uh great wrap-up to the regular season in college football before we go into conference championship saturday and of course we'll be back with you next week to talk about everything that happened gentlemen as always great times appreciate our Primary sponsor, Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com. If you haven't checked them out, do so. Again, you don't have to go to the store to get sized up. You can do it virtually. And before you know, it's at your door, and it is the most comfortable, the best-looking pair of jeans you will ever, ever see. Don't take my word for it. Check out some of the testimonials. Uh, They are long and vast uh, from people from all walks of life. That's BlueDeltaJeans.com. Guys, have a terrific Thanksgiving, and we'll check back in next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Really good one. See you, Michael. See you, JC. So long for now. Uh, We'll see you next time on the next, the next JC and Morgan podcast. Happy Thanksgiving.